let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. We're going to read that in a moment. Today, we are wrapping up a three-week series on supernatural spiritual gifts. We've been talking about supernatural gifts like healing and like tongues and like the gift of prophecy. So why are we talking about these supernatural gifts? Why do a series on this topic? And, and here's, here's why. Here's one reason why. When we turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as our treasure, we're completely forgiven for all of our sins. We're reconciled to God, come into relationship with the living God. And Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes the truth of Jesus so real in our hearts that we are overflowing with living water. We're filled and overflowing with his presence. That's what happens when you put your trust in Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit you receive. But in the New Testament, we also read that the Holy Spirit gave people supernatural spiritual gifts. He gave gifts of healing so that ordinary believers like us laid hands on people and prayed in Jesus' name and people were healed. He gave the gift of speaking in tongues where people were able to speak, pray, praise in languages they'd never learned, but which when they were interpreted benefited the people around them. He gave the gift of prophecy to people just like us. They received supernatural knowledge about specific situations, and when that knowledge was shared, people were strengthened in their faith, people were brought to salvation, beautiful things took place. So that's what happened in the New Testament. But what about today? Is God still giving those supernatural spiritual gifts today? Now, some who love Jesus, who are deeply devoted to the word, passionately committed to the gospel, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ don't believe God is still giving those gifts today. They believe one of the reasons is because they think that those supernatural gifts were given to authenticate the apostles' ministry. And that since there are no longer apostles, therefore that need is no longer there, no longer need to authenticate the apostles' ministry. And so therefore they conclude those gifts are no longer being given. And some of you, I'm sure, come from that background. You maybe come from a church background where there was no emphasis put on supernatural spiritual gifts. But the steering team at Grace Committee, the Grace Committee, steering team at Grace Church, as we've studied this, our, our conviction is that God is still giving these supernatural spiritual gifts. Now, we agree. One of the purposes of those gifts in the New Testament was to authenticate the ministry of the apostles. Absolutely. But that's not the only reason they were given. They were given in the New Testament to all believers, and they were also given to strengthen believers, to help people who haven't yet been forgiven for their sins come to know Jesus. They were given for lots of reasons which we still need today. And so our conviction is that God is still giving these supernatural spiritual gifts. And this is a topic that Christians who love Jesus can agree to disagree on, right? Jesus is much bigger than the topic of spiritual gifts, right? But this is not a topic on which a church can simply decide not to decide. 
Because every church is either going to be pursuing these gifts or not pursuing them. We can't not decide. And so I know we come from different backgrounds here, but we, we taught on this a year ago, introduced the topic, and then since we should teach on it again for a few weeks here this fall. And so my longing is I would love to persuade those of you who are not yet persuaded uh, that God is still giving these gifts. I'd love to persuade you that, that this is what the Bible teaches, or at least give you some things to think about so that you can keep processing them and move ahead in the future. So this is why we're doing this series, because we want to grow in understanding what these gifts are. We want to grow in understanding how they should be pursued. There are some circles in which they are not pursued biblically. We want to pursue them biblically, and so that's why we're teaching on them. Now, with that introduction, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Paul commands, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I think that this command is as important for us today as it was for the church at Corinth back in A.D. 55. This is applicable to us today. This has not changed. So Paul would call us today, Grace Church, he would say, pursue love. Devote yourself to loving and caring for those around you. And one way to do that is by earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. Earnestly desiring them, especially the gift of prophecy. So this morning, what I want to do is help us understand how to earnestly desire, how to pursue some of these gifts. I'm going to talk about the gift of healing and the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And all these come from questions that you've raised. Thank you for sending in your questions. So let's start with the topic of healing. When should we pray for someone to be healed? Somebody raised this question, such an important question. And here's why they raised it, and here's why I would guess many of us wonder about that same question. The Bible is clear that God can heal the sick, right? I mean, God is God. If he created you with the body that you have, he can heal that body, right? He can heal cancer. He can heal diabetes. He can heal heart problems. He can heal high blood pressure. He can instantly heal a broken bone. He can add limbs. He can make blind eyes see. We're talking about God here, right? God can heal the sick. Let there be no doubt about it. But we also know that it's not always God's will to heal right now in this life. Think about Paul in Galatians 4, I think it is. He talks about how when he first went to the church and was preaching there, he had an eye sickness that was going on. It says Paul, who healed people that were sick, who raised people from the dead, and yet he had some eye problem that was going on at that point in time. God had chosen not to heal him, at least not yet. We can read about Paul's thorn in the flesh. We can read about Timothy, who had stomach problems. Now, Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who, what? Heals all your diseases. And he does. Either in this life, with these bodies, or in the life to come, with our resurrection bodies. So here's the question. If it's not always God's will to heal someone now in this life, then when do we decide 
when do we decide, how do we decide when to pray for them? When should we pray for people? And I think the biblical answer is always. Because of what James says in James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Go ahead and turn there. James is writing this letter to a, a number of churches in the northern Palestine area. So this was going to be broadly lived out amongst all these churches in northern Palestine. And listen to what he says you should do when you're sick, okay? Verse 14, James chapter 5. Is anyone, underline that word anyone, that's anyone means anyone, all right? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So how often should sick people be prayed for? All the time. You see that? Now, we're not, it's not just the elders, because we would have a full-time job praying for the sick. So it's, it's other people, too, as we'll see in a moment. But especially if there's an urgent need, call the elders. I've got a little thing of oil in my backpack. We'll come. We'll pray for you. We would be thrilled to do that. So whenever someone is sick, call for the elders to come and pray. That's what James is saying here. Then keep reading in verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, underline that phrase, prayer of faith. I believe the prayer of faith is referring to those times when, as you're praying for someone, the Holy Spirit gives you an absolute certainty that God is going to heal them right now. You know. Not because you, you think you're supposed to believe that or because you think that's always the case, because it's not, but because the Holy Spirit is giving you this supernatural confidence God's going to heal this person. And then whenever we pray that prayer of faith for that sick person, when God's brought that gift of faith, God will always heal them and will always raise them up. And James also says part of this prayer time is going to be acknowledging any sins, confessing them, um, and, and then forgiveness through the Lord Jesus will be poured out in fresh assurance of forgiveness from him. Now, verse 16, notice that it's not just the elders who pray. We all pray for each other for healing. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Pray for one another. Underline those words, one another. So that means we are all praying for each other to be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So if someone in your home group this week is sick, Pray for them to be healed, right? You should pray for them. If someone here Friday morning, if you're sick, we would love to pray for you. That's why we have prayer after the service. We should always pray for the sick. Now, what if you don't have that gift of faith where you know for sure that they're going to be healed? What should you do? You should pray for them anyway, all right? And the reason I share that is because of what we read in Matthew chapter 9, 28 through 30. This verse has shaped my theology, my understanding of supernatural healing. I hope you'll find it as encouraging as I have. Even if you're not sure that God will heal this person, it is enough if you are confident that God can heal this person. Let me say that again. Even if you're not sure that God will heal this person, even if you haven't received that gift of faith where you know, it's enough if you know that God can heal this person. Matthew 9, 28. When he, Jesus, entered the house, 
the blind men, two blind men came to him. These are blind men, okay? They cannot see. You look in their eyes, there's just nothing there. They're blind. Some serious problem, brain process, eyes, whatever it is, they can't see. So these blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Able. Underline that word, that I'm able to do this. Not that I will do this. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. They knew. You're the Messiah. I've heard about you healing people. You can do this. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. Don't you love that? By the power of God through Jesus Christ, their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. That might be puzzling. Jesus didn't want to gather huge crowds if he could avoid it. He wanted to focus on individual people, healing the sick. He preached to crowds, but he wasn't looking for popularity. He was just trying to minister to people, so he kept it all on the down low. Didn't work, though. Everybody heard. They all came thronging to him. But notice, Jesus doesn't ask them if they believe he's going to heal them. He asks if they believe he's able to heal them. They answered yes, and that was enough faith. Be it done to you according to your faith, your faith that I can heal you. That was enough for him. Do you see that? So if you believe that Jesus can heal, if you believe that God is able to heal, pray for everybody who's sick. Okay? We pray, and then God does what he chooses to do. We don't know. He may heal. He may not. But our job is to pray. His job is to do what he deems best. And he will. So isn't that freeing? It's beautifully freeing. Now, what if you are struggling to believe that God's able to heal? What if you're not even sure about that? What should you do? I just love the scriptures because we have a scripture that addresses that. Mark chapter 9, verses 22 through 26. I think we will all have times where we're, it's like we're looking at this person and they are, they are sick. I mean, this is, this is like serious. And I know God can maybe heal a cold, but like this, this is, right? Do we all feel that sometimes? Or is it, it's not just me, right? Okay, we all, making me a little insecure here. Okay, all right, so look at what we have happened in this passage. A man brings his son to Jesus. His son is oppressed by an unclean spirit, by a demon. It's horrifying what this demon does to this boy. They'll be walking along a lake, and the demon will come upon the boy and make him fall into the water where the goal of drowning him. Can you imagine the panic-stricken father having to jump into the lake and rescue your son? Or if they're walking by like a fire pit, this, the spirit will make the son fall onto the fire so he gets burned? I mean, imagine the father with your son. And so, Jesus, please. Verse 22, the man says, It is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, if you can, see the word if? He's not sure Jesus can, but if you can, right? You see? He doesn't have faith that he can. If you can, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. You need to believe that I can. That's what Jesus is saying. And look at how the father responds. Verse 24. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
Now listen, when you pray, help my unbelief, praying in Jesus' name, I'm needy, I'm weak, help my unbelief, what will God always do? He will always strengthen your faith. Every time, that is a prayer that is always answered. And so the man prays, I believe, help my unbelief, and Jesus answers, Jesus strengthens his faith, and then verse 25, I kind of condensed these up on the screen here, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, and it came out. Son was freed. So the man was moved from saying, if you can, help my unbelief. You can. Son was freed. See that, see that works? And we want to be a church where we are praying for the sick regularly. Not for our glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ. And because we want to bless each other. And if we can bless somebody by praying for them and having them be healed, beautiful. And whenever we pray, God's presence will come. So Lorraine had her ears open, but do you notice what she especially was talking about there was the, the overwhelming presence of God that came upon her as she was being prayed for. She was blessed. Ears were open that night, but she was especially touched by God's presence. We want to be a church which prays for the sick. So how do we do that? Here's some suggestions. Number one, study Jesus' healings. This will strengthen your faith. And actually, study the healings that take place in the book of Acts as well through everyday ordinary believers. Number two, pray for the gift of healing. Have you ever prayed and said, God, give me the gift of healing? See, the fact that you've never yet maybe prayed for someone to be healed doesn't mean that you may not pray for somebody to be healed this afternoon and they're healed, right? So I would encourage you, let's get into the rhythm of praying for the sick. Somebody's sick at your workplace, I mean, don't, don't do this on work time, all right? Be sensitive, right? Be committed to your job, but Lord, how can I pray for them to be healed? Let's be a church that prays for each other and for lost people who are sick. Let God come and touch them. So pray for the gift. And number three, pray for the sick. Now, if you've never done this, it may feel like you're being super presumptuous, but you don't. You're just going to simply humbly pray. Let's pray and see what God does. And when you pray, don't beat around the bush. Pray and ask God to heal them. We ask, Father, in Jesus' name, open, these, open their eyes, open their blind eyes. Take the tumor out right now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Clear up the arteries that are clogging up around the heart. Lord, give them a whole healthy heart. I mean, pray specifically for the healing, right? Sometimes we can kind of beat around the bush, bless them, and strengthen them, and heal them, okay? Heal them, ask directly for that. Number four, if your faith is weak, pray, I believe, help my unbelief. Listen, I pray that prayer almost every day about different situations, okay? It's a good prayer, and Jesus loves that prayer. He always answers that prayer. Number five, as you pray, be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Is he bringing you spiritual gifts to share that might be very powerful for the person? Is he leading you to pray in a different direction? Right? Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit as you're praying, which also means don't rush the prayer time. Give it some time. You're laying hands on them. Maybe a group of you are praying. Let there be times of silence. You're just there before the Lord. God's working, and he will lead you by the Holy Spirit with how to pray more specifically for them. And number six, when you feel like you've prayed enough, stop and ask them, what, what are you experiencing? What's God doing? What's taking place? 
ask them. They may say, I'm, I'm, you know, my broken bone, I'm feeling this warmth on this bone. I don't know what's happening. Well, let's pray some more. Or you can pray twice. Remember in Mark chapter 8, Jesus prays twice for a blind man. First time, his sight is partially restored. Second time, his sight is fully restored. Don't know why that is, but nothing wrong with praying twice. So I hope that helps somewhat with questions about how to pursue praying for the sick. Now, let's move from healing to speaking in tongues. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about this, and, and there's two reasons why. It's not because it's the most important gift, but it's because I think it's one of the most misunderstood gifts, and I think it's a gift that many simply are, are afraid of, are fearful about, and I want to just dispel any kind of fear, and I want to make sure we have a biblical understanding of this gift. So here's some questions on speaking in tongues. What is speaking in tongues? Remember last week we saw Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, that speaking in tongues involved God giving someone the ability, a believer had the ability, to speak in a foreign language, which when foreigners heard it, it was their own language, so they could hear the gospel in their own language. So this miraculous ability to speak a foreign language that they'd never learned, they didn't go to school to study it, God just gave them that ability, they spoke, foreigners heard the gospel. But in the rest of the New Testament, especially in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, tongues seems to be of a different kind, where you receive the gift of being able to speak prayer, worship, praise, in a language you've never learned, but a language that no one understands. And I say that because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. No one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Well, the fact that Paul says no one understands probably means this isn't a foreign language, or Paul wouldn't have said no one understands, right? So tongues is when the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to speak a language you've never learned, either a foreign language or maybe a non-foreign language, which when it's interpreted, either because the person understands the language or because the Holy Spirit gives the gift of interpretation, brings great benefit to those who hear. So that's what tongues is. Now, what's the benefit? There's two benefits of tongues. As I study 1 Corinthians 14, I see two benefits. First, there's a personal benefit to you. If God gives you that gift, there's a personal benefit to you. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Paul says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, building up yourself has to do with strengthening your own faith. It's a good thing to build up yourself. Paul's not saying that's why there should be no tongues. He's saying that's why tongues should be done in private unless it's interpreted, okay? Because it'll build up your own faith. That's a good thing. Do that in private. So it will strengthen your faith. Just like in Jude chapter 1, verse 20, we're commanded, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, Jude says. So God will use someone's private praying in tongues, just between them and God, to strengthen their faith. I think that's why Paul says what he does in verse the next verse. He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, last week, we saw from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30, go ahead and look there, just back a page or two, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30, that Paul says, do all speak in tongues? And the answer is no. We know that because of the Greek and because of the context. Just like not everybody's an apostle, 
Not everybody speaks in tongues. So not everybody gets the gift of tongues. Some groups teach that. We love those groups. They love Jesus, but I don't think that's right. 1 Corinthians 12.30 is, is quite clear to me. So if it's true that not everybody will get the gift of tongues, why does Paul say, I want you all to speak in tongues? Feel the question? Look at the next verse. We've got to write down there. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 7. Thank you, Mary. I think it's the exact same thing Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says, I wish that all were as I myself am, that is, single. Paul was single. Paul knew the benefits of being single. He wasn't married. He loved not being married and all the freedom it gave him to minister. And so he says, I wish you all were single like I was. Well, did Paul really think that every Christian was supposed to be single? No. He wrote Ephesians 5. Paul was very excited about marriage also. So Paul knew the benefits of singleness, but he said, oh, I know the benefits. I wish you all had those benefits, but I know some of you are called to be married. We'll trust the Lord for that, okay? Uh, and same thing with tongues. Paul knew the benefits of personal speaking in tongues. He says, I wish you all had those benefits, but I know God isn't going to give that gift to everybody, so we'll trust the Lord for that. You see what's going on there? But notice, he was excited. He was grateful for this personal gift of tongues. And that's why, look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 18 and 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now notice, Paul would rather in a public setting, if he was going to be heard, speak five words of teaching or of prophecy but in private, he loved speaking in his private tongues, language. This didn't need any interpretation because nobody was hearing him, all right? He did this because it strengthened his faith. Tongues is not the ultimate spiritual experience. I think some groups teach that, and I think that they mean well, but I don't think that that's right. The ultimate spiritual experience is when the Holy Spirit makes the truth of Jesus in the Word so real in your heart that you don't just know, but you're feeling, you're beholding. Jesus' presence is right there in the truth of God's Word. That's the ultimate spiritual experience. It has nothing to do with tongues or any supernatural spiritual gifts. So no one think, if I'm really going to experience God's presence, I need to speak in tongues. That's just not true. It's a benefit. It will strengthen you. But it's not the only way God will strengthen you, and it's not necessarily the best way God will strengthen you, but it is a way that God will strengthen you. It's a gift from God. It's a beautiful gift from God. And that's why Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But again, the ultimate spiritual experience is not tongues. It's beholding God's glory in Christ as revealed by the Holy Spirit supernaturally through the truth of God's word so you feel his very glory and majesty and presence and God gives that to every believer. Okay? So there is personal benefit though to speaking in tongues. All right, but now there's also benefit to others. Corporate benefit when it's interpreted. 1 Corinthians 14:5 Paul says I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more, I want you all to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So there's personal benefit. We're just, no one else is hearing. It's private. It's not in a church setting, but we're just praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. 
But then there's also corporate benefit where if God brings a word in tongues to the corporate church, it needs to be interpreted and it'll be beneficial to others. Now let me share with you, there's been two or maybe three times in my life where I've experienced that. So here, here's what happened. Um, I was just in a church gathering. I was, I was the pastor of the church. I was in a church gathering. We were worshiping the Lord, focusing on Jesus, praising him and exalting him. And as I was worshiping, words came into my mind whose meaning I did not understand. With the, with, along with a sense of God's presence, sense of God there. It's like, okay, so I, I, I knew what this probably was. I was pretty nervous, okay? And I just said, Father, is, is this, I mean, do, do you really want me to stand up in front of everybody and bring a word of tongues? Didn't happen a lot in our church. And my sense from the Lord was, yes. Okay, so uh, worship ended, and I, I went up in front, and I said, church, I think God's given me a word of tongues to share uh, this morning, and, and we're going to pray that somebody gets the interpretation. <laughs> that's how this works. And so I, I spoke the word of tongues. It was maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds. And I said, does anybody have the interpretation? And somebody at the back raised his hand. I think God's given me the interpretation. And they stood up, and they shared. You know, I, I really forget what it was now, but it was like, mmm. There's a sense of mmm amongst the church people. It's like, yes, mmm. <laughs> and I was like, phew, yes, okay? Right? But, but so that's how public tongues are, are to work. It's, 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 it's wonderful, but it's, it's very calm and ordinary, right? Um, that's how I've experienced it. And that's, I think, what Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians 14. If tongues are heard publicly, they should be interpreted. And then they'll benefit others. So, so there's two benefits of tongues. Private benefit and corporate, public benefit to the whole church. So how do we pursue the gift of tongues? Let me give you a couple suggestions. One is earnestly desire it. Do you earnestly desire it? Um, I think there's two errors. Like I said, some earnestly desire it too much because they have the idea that that's the ultimate closeness to God. That's not true. Okay, do you understand that? That is not true. Because if you think that's true and, and it's not God's will to give you the gift of tongues, then you're going to feel like you're a second-class Christian all the rest of your life. You need to understand, somebody can be more filled with the Spirit who doesn't speak in tongues than somebody who does speak in tongues. Now, I'm not saying that to put down the gift of tongues. We welcome that gift. But I want to put it in its rightful place, right? Okay. So earnestly desire it. And then number two, don't be afraid of it. I mean, you see on TV these people who just burst into tongues and they're falling over and it's like, what on earth has happened to that person? We think, ah, I'm going to stay very far away from that. Here's my problem with, with that model. I think the person means well, whatever, but 1 Corinthians 14, verses 27 to 29, Paul says, let two or three people speak in tongues, one in turn, and if there's no interpreter, let, somebody, let the person be, keep silent. In other words, the person who has a word in tongues is in complete control of their faculties, right? They're not being taken over by the Holy Spirit, made to all of a sudden, I can't stop myself. That's just not biblical. There's some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who have that model. We love them. I just don't think it's what the Bible teaches, though. So you don't need to be afraid of it. Remember, I just had these words in my mind 
And my fear was that, oh, he's going to make me stand up and say this in front of the whole church. And, and, but it was a good thing. It was a blessing. So don't be afraid. Number three, ask God for this gift. Ask God for it. If, if we're to earnestly desire it, which Paul commands us to, ask him for it. And he may give it. He may not. We're free. He loves you. Right? Whatever will bring you the closest to him, he will give to you. Whatever combination of gifts and life circumstances, he will give to you. So ask God for it. And then number four, understand that your greatest joy is always God, not any spiritual gift. Okay? So I hope that relieves fear from some of you. I hope it puts tongues in its rightful place. I hope for some of you it lifts tongues up, maybe out of the gutter. So it's like, okay, Paul thanked God for this gift. But for others of you, it's like, ah, oh, it's not the ultimate. It's, it's here. I hope, I hope this helps us. We need to teach on this so that we are on solid ground as a church in terms of this gift and others. If you still have questions about that, email me and we can talk more. I want to move to the gift of prophecy. How can we tell when God is giving us a prophecy? And look at 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 30. Here's what Paul says. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. That's very important. Prophecy is always under the Scriptures. It's weighed by the Scriptures. So weigh what is said. But now get this next verse. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So putting verse 29 and 30 together, whenever a prophecy comes to someone, it's because God is, giving, is making a revelation to them. Here's what that means. It means that God is revealing something to you. It's not something that you thought up in your own mind. That's important. Okay? God's given us minds to think. Don't not use your mind. But that's not what prophecy is. This is where God brings a thought into your mind that's about a specific situation. That's prophecy. It's about a specific situation which will benefit others when you speak it out, when you share it. Now, it's not equal to Scripture. This is super important. It's judged by Scripture. Okay, New Testament prophets are not equal to New Testament apostles. Only apostles wrote Scripture. No prophets wrote Scripture. Remember we talked two weeks ago about capital P prophets and small p prophets? Do you remember that? Okay, listen to the tape if you haven't. Capital P prophets are like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses. They wrote scripture. In the Old Testament, there were other prophets, though, Numbers 12 says, who didn't write scripture. God did give them revelation. It wasn't as clear as what he gave to the capital P prophets. They wrote scripture. Small p prophets didn't write scripture. In the New Testament, capital P prophets are called apostles, and small p prophets are called small p prophets, okay? So let's be really clear. Our authority at Grace Church is the Scripture. Scripture is the foundation of the church, not any spiritual gift. If you want to hear God's voice most clearly, you open your Bible, okay? So important. There's a hunger to hear God's voice. Beautiful, but the way to hear God's voice most clearly is in the Bible. And God's voice clearly says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Yes, sir. All right? But it's under the word. So important. 
So, let's say that for the sake of love, pursue love for the sake of love, you've been praying this next week, God, give me a word of prophecy. Father, it scares me to death, but give it to me because you've told me to ask for this. So give me a word of prophecy. And then next Friday you come, haven't gotten anything yet, and you're just here worshiping the Lord. And, and what if while you're worshiping, this thought comes into your mind, there's someone here this morning who is very lonely, and God wants to say to them, I love you, I know, I have not forgotten you. There's this thought. Okay, so first question, is it biblical? Yes, nothing unbiblical about that. Second question, is it edifying? Well, yes, that would be edifying, right? So then you're going to be really nervous, sweaty palms time, you know? All right, but you're going to remember, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So you'll walk up during the worship and you'll tap me or one of the other steering team members on the shoulder and say, I think, I think God is saying there's somebody here who's really lonely and that he wants to tell them he loves them and that he's not forgotten them, and that he cares about them. And the steering team guys will say, Let's, so during a break in the songs, we'll come up here with you. You'll, you'll have a mic, and, and you'll just share. I, I think God is saying that there's somebody here today who's very lonely, and he wants you to know he loves you, and he cares about you, and he's not forgotten you. And then you'll go back, and you'll sit down, and I'll bet you what will happen is at the end of the service, somebody will walk up to you with tears in their eyes. And they'll say, that's, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That's me. Thank you. And they will have powerfully been strengthened and encouraged by God in that way. Do you see how this works? That's how the gift of prophecy takes place. God speaks to us through his word. We preach every Friday morning from the scriptures. This is the most clear word of God, but this most clear word of God says that God also wants to speak to people through supernatural means like prophecy because it gives great encouragement and great blessing and great help, and that's why we pursue that gift. That's why. So can you see how wonderful this gift is? Now think of what this could mean for us on Fridays. I wanted to give a couple more examples just so that you can think of the kinds of ways God could, could work through prophecy. Imagine someone who's just been through a trial, a, a serious trial, just been through a very serious trial, hearing God say to them, I know you've gone through a trial. I love you. Great good is coming. I mean, think of how powerful that would be if somebody heard that. Or imagine that there's someone here on a Friday morning who's some husband is on the brink of leaving his wife for another woman. And here's somebody stand up and say, God gave me a picture of a man in a car driving away from their villa. And God brought the thought into my mind that this man's leaving his wife and he wants me to say, don't be faithful to the wife of your youth. Imagine some man out here hearing that said. Or imagine someone who's been praying the same prayer request for years and hasn't yet seen the answer. And someone stands up and says, I think God wants to encourage someone who's been praying for years for something and is feeling discouraged, downhearted about it. God wants you to know every time you pray for this, it's precious to him. And don't stop praying. Think of how helpful that would be. Okay? 
Maybe there's an unbeliever who comes here on a Friday morning. And in the past week, they've been considering taking their lives. And somebody here during worship gets this picture of, of a razor blade and, and this thought of somebody committing suicide and, and that God wants to say, don't do that. Life is in God. He will help whatever the need is through Jesus. And so stand up and says, there's somebody here who I think maybe God is saying that you've thought about taking your life. And God says, don't. Jesus is real. Jesus will help you. Imagine the power that could have on somebody. See, that's why this gift is still needed. And that's why Paul wants us to pursue it. So Grace Church, let's take seriously Paul's command. Pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's have the worship team come up. Now, they're going to lead us in, in a song which talks about how there are times when we need to step out of the boat and put our eyes on Jesus, even if it means walking on water. Okay, And, and I want to give two applications, two reasons this song is important. One is... Um, when you feel like God's giving you a word of prophecy, it very much feels like you're stepping out of the boat onto the water and what's going to happen. And let this song encourage you that when he gives you a spiritual gift to step out, don't look at the circumstances, don't look at the waves, look at Jesus and trust him and obey him. You will always be glad you did. So it has application for spiritual gifts. But it also has application. I would guess some of you are feeling like you are in the water, out of the boat, sinking. Jesus just says, look at me. Look at my sovereign hand. I will lift you up. I will help you. You might feel like you're sinking, but Jesus is right there. That's the whole point of the song. He will meet you. He will comfort you. He will encourage you. Let's worship him. Let's stand. <clears throat>